Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ram and Milo. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Steph. Steph. Excellent. Uh, It has been something of a ludicrous pace with regards to football this past week, as the 2022 Qatar World Cup finals wrapped up their group stages and the first few rounds of 16 knockout matches have started to happen. We will bring you the moments and matches which have caught our sometimes unconventional eyes as we continue our running World Cup feedback, possibly from a Spurs-tinted perspective. And then we will discuss Antonio Conte's first full year at Tottenham. We'll be looking at the man, his work, his ways, and discuss how we feel his first year at Spurs has gone. But chaps, let's start by looking back at the week that was. And I'll pick it up with the story about... Fabio Paratici and details are beginning to emerge of the investigation into Juventus that has led to the resignation of their board of directors and possible implications for our own Fabio. WhatsApp messages from club captain Giorgio Cellini uh, to the rest of the squad have been released this week and they appear to implicate Paratici, who was Juve's director of football at the time, and club president Andrea Agnelli. The messages suggest that Juve made a public statement saying that the players had voluntarily given up four months' wages to help the club through the COVID lockdown whilst football was on hold, but the players would continue to be paid via secret back channels. It's unclear what this means for Paratici at the moment or how closely involved Fabio was, but on the face of it, it looks like Juve were cooking the books. Obviously, details are a bit scant at the moment other than Cellini's text messages and there's been a few scurrilous rumours in the Italian press but what do you think, guys? I, I don't really know what to think. Like, I don't know how... I'm not sure. It depends on how serious this actually is or whether it's just kind of, you know, clandestine sort of chat that's, you know, happening in the background and actually it has nothing to do with Paratici. But it does, you know, I, I guess my main my main worry is what's the contingency plan if it means that Paratici, we, we have to part ways. That's David, really please. what I'm worried about. <laughs> Timmy? <laughs> Did you say Timmy? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you, Rem. I, I mean, who knows what to think? I mean, we don't really know yeah. anything much about it, but it is, it's that fly that won't stop buzzing, right? And mm-hmm. when a fly's buzzing in a small circle around something, it usually is either rotten food or poo. Mm. Uh, in this case, I hope it's just a bit of rotten food uh, at, at worst. That's my yeah. weird analogy. I think regardless of what happens, it's a distraction that we could do without, particularly with yeah. the window approaching. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My suspicion is that it's probably something where the club gets punished rather than the individuals. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, you know, the details aren't there. It And again, it looks like Juve might have been using it as a way to try and get around financial fair play and make it look like they weren't spending quite as much as they were. So, yeah, presumably that would be a yeah, kind of Italian FA and UEFA punishment, you would assume. Yeah, but I don't know. And it's also something that nobody else was ever doing in, in on, on the planet at that point, I don't think, were they? Nobody was bending any uh, any financial rules. <laughs> on the face of it, this looks looks pretty iffy. Yeah. And Cellini does name Paratici in his WhatsApp messages. So Yeah. 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 I, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be uh, a piece of rotten food in the corner that'll get scooped up rather than a turd that someone's put their yeah. entire shoe in and is going to take ages to clean off the sole. Teflon Tichi. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my appraisal using rotten food and poo. I, I must be enamoured by that because that's three times I've said that now. Why don't I just move on to something else that has actually been <laughs> rather shitty? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's been rather shitty. This this particular statistic that we're going to get into. Um, it involves it involves Harry Kane, sadly, um, and it's the Guardian who carried a story uh, this past Friday saying that Harry Kane had been the most abused England player on Twitter during the World Cup. Uh, this is according to research carried out by the Alan Turing Institute, which is the National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence or data science, I should say, to correct myself and remember my roots. Um, England players were sent 1,546 abusive tweets during the group stages of the World Cup. By the way, congratulations to all 1,546 of you bellends out there uh, who did that. And 13% of those abusive tweets or 205 posts contain keywords that refer to a protected characteristic such as race, gender or sexuality. So 205 mega geniuses there, I see. Um, Kane received the most abusive post being tagged in 426 abusive tweets that made up 28% of the total of negative posts sent to players' Twitter handles during England's three group games. And the next most abused players were Mason Mount and Harry Maguire, receiving 167 and 152 abusive tweets 
respectively. I was actually going to ask you to read this, Milo, because you're the one who researched this story. Hannah Kirk, a researcher at the Institute, said, Disappointed fans are likely to cross the line from criticism to abuse when the stakes are high and emotions are running high. As we move into the knockout stages, maybe we will see the kind of rage pitched to England players depending on the scoreline and how they're progressing through the tournament. It's unbelievable. I mean, negative tweets directed at England players reached a peak during the nil-nil draw with the USA. Nearly 5% of tweets sent during the match were abusive, compared with 1.5% for the games against Iran and Wales. I mean, this sort of plays along from something we were touching on last week, chaps, which is crimes against football in, in, in some sort of way. I mean, it's just, mm. it's just I mean, I, 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 look, I'm not going to ask you what you think, because I know what you think, but have your say. I'll say one thing, and let me preface this by saying that one abusive tweet is too many. Mm. But those numbers, though, of the millions of people that are commenting on stuff on on various social media sites, um, you know, and and are and are watching the games and com- you know commenting specifically on the players and the games, I have a little bit of kind of faith in humanity restored of the relatively low percentage of people that are tweeting about an England game sending abuse. Like like I said, one 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 abusive tweet or or messages too many but there were relatively no numbers which means that a lot of people were just commenting in general on the game or commenting positively and i think kane is kane is is he gets abuse unless he scores he will get abuse because i think for opposition players as uh, opposition fans as well and i I, some of my friends i'll put into this context as well but people who who know about football as well you know and that they understand the game they tend to have this sort of thing about Kane saying that like oh what does he do what he's not doing anything he's not scoring and I'm like can you not see what he's actually doing in the games except scoring um but he seems to have that kind of uh aura where uh he's, he's an easy target for you know opposition fans even with him being in an England shirt yeah he's a touchstone for knobheads um mm. I mean in terms of the numbers Ram that's people who actually are atting those players in the in the tweets so tweets uh, that are more general and don't include the players you know twitter handles uh aren't included in those numbers so mm. you know so the overall numbers of kind of abusive tweets will be a lot higher right um right. i think it's it's something that i, I think has become more common over the last couple of years i see it quite a lot with spurs fans copying in players to abuse them after you know bad results or mm. uh, disappointing performances in, in what world do you think that supporting the team will going to improve anything? Well, I think a fascinating, uh, just to, to conclude on this point, and something I think would be really interesting to do if anyone had the time, which of course we don't, these players are being flogged to death. But to your point, Milo, about people atting the specific target of their abuse and sort of taking it to another level of personalization in what is essentially mm. a very anonymous world. I think it would be really interesting if one of the players involved or their representatives of their club was to select one or two of these abusive at tweeters and invite them to sit with the player and discuss their grievance and say, why did you post this? Like, here's a chance for you to meet, say, Harry Kane or Harry Maguire and have an honest conversation. This is a moment. What, what, and, and hopefully it will be a teaching moment. Maybe I'm over optimistic. Maybe the, you know, it would disappear and they'd realize, actually, I'm a bell end. I think you are, Steph, because it would have an impact on one person because the hundreds of other people who are doing this wouldn't pay any attention to it. There's a culture of doing this. Well, I suppose or they, they might also think yeah. they get a free meet and greet. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. They get <laughs> there the 15 go. minutes. Poof, I've, shot my, I've shot my own yeah. idealism in the fed. <laughs> I think, Ram, in terms of kind of Kane being a target for this, I think you're right. You see it a lot within, you know, within the Premier League as well before England, hmm. uh, you know, outside of England games. Um, I think a lot of people just don't understand the role he's being asked to play. Yeah, exactly. They see number nine on his shirt and they expect him to be an out-and-out striker and he hasn't been that for some time. Um, he's England's you know, most creative player. He's, mm. Um, mm. You know, he, he's man of the match tonight. But you know, people don't understand the role he's no. being asked to play. And I think it's a bit like the whole, you know, if you think back years with Spurs, the kind of Gareth Bailey plays on the left thing. Well, it, re- it evokes to me the Deli Alley situation in 2018, where he was clearly being asked to play a completely different role to that which he'd played up until that point. People are judging him against what they think a striker should be doing rather than what he's being asked to do. And the other point I was going to say you know, br- briefly, and again, this is something that I have touched on over the last few weeks, and since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, there's been a marked rise in 
uh, abusive behavior on the platform, particularly abuse against protected characteristics. So kind of racial, sexual, um, homophobic uh, abuse. And, you know, we've seen that uh, Musk has laid off huge numbers of Twitter staff, and, you, know, you know, which includes people who would previously be doing moderation or looking at uh, reported posts. And Twitter's never been particularly good at dealing with these. But I do really worry you know, if England get knocked out at some point, you're going to see fans turning on players and you're going to see a repeat of what you saw um, a year and a half ago after the Euros where predominantly black players were being singled out by racist morons uh, for abuse and Twitter didn't deal with it very well then, nor, you know, nor did Facebook, nor did Instagram. It took a while for them those those um, abusive messages to be removed and I fear that on Twitter it's going to be even worse this time round. Well, let's hope human nature somehow takes a giant swerve to the positive because uh, this abuse of players is 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 not it, it's not good, it's not helpful and uh as I think we've we you know we've uh, as we've said on this pod many times before it's reflective of a greater societal ill which we probably are not going to cure now. Shall I move us on to the World Cup? I think you should. Yes. Okay. Do so. <laughs> it's been another frantic week. So we've seen Hugo Lloris, Eric Dyer, Papi Matassar, Richarlison, Ivan Perisic, Sun Hyung-min and Harry Kane all progressing to the knockout rounds. Rodrigo Bentecourt picked up an injury in Uruguay's 2-0 win over Ghana, which wasn't enough to see them through. And we're waiting to hear about how serious that injury is and whether it has an impact on us. Hoybier, Ben Davis, Joe Roden also saw their World Cup end this week and Papi Matassar is also now heading home after Senegal's defeat to England tonight. What have been your standout games over the last week? Which ones have you really enjoyed? Uh, there have been several of these games that have gone literally down to the last goal. Those have been mm. crazy. And I think of all of them, it would be absolutely churlish, both on a Tottenham Hotspur podcast and in a life sense, not to recognise that in the 90th minute, when Son Young-Ming got the ball and travelled some 75 or 80 yards to nutmeg the perfect pass for the winning goal. And then there was that bizarre moment where they had to wait like eight minutes in the middle of the pitch to see if it had actually happened. Yeah. That was pretty memorable. <laughs> so just jump, jumping in on that, something that occurred to me, so FIFA got this proposal to increase, well, the next World Cup is going to be 48 teams rather than uh, 36. And one of the proposals is that you've got groups of three. So with that, you would never get the two final games going on simultaneously. So all of that um drama drama is gone yeah. so i mean for instance let's say the the poland game where if poland picked up two bookings then it went to a draw madness uh, you know, drawing lots that wouldn't happen under you know under one of the potential outcomes i think arsene wenger was talking about this this weekend i think the other thing he was talking about is mainly maybe sticking with uh groups of four but maybe highest scoring or highest points uh teams in third place also qualify uh, which sounds like a better solution to me and could yeah. make for good final games if you've got a team who are in a chance in a chance of third place if they get you know going through if they get shitloads of goals but um I I think it's a better solution if you want to if you want to mess with this again to make more money. I mean, I'm quite. I think it's looking quite good right now. Uh, to be honest, personally speaking, I think this is a fairly good format and it works. Just to, just continue on the game thing because I'm I'm sure Ram, mm. you're going to come in with some opinions on all of that. Um, but just to finish on the game thing, I think what's stood out to me this week is that. And the Guardian wrote a story about this, and I was thinking about it as it happened. There was a foul on Lionel Messi uh, in the thirtieth minute of the game, and it, and you know don't. Don't t don't tease the tiger out of the out of the, the the sleeping sloth. Don't do it. He looks frighteningly like he's starting to find his mojo, and now it's this tantalising thing where you're f wondering if he's going to do it, if he's gonna do a Maradona. It's possible. The thing about kind of sticking with the format that's working, mm. I would say that with you know South Korea, Japan, Australia, um, you know Senegal, all getting through to the knockout rounds, the argument against not having more countries qualifying from those regions i think is is harder to make and i think expanding the number of uh, countries from the less successful confederations i think is 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 harder to make i think i think you know you've really seen this world cup you know what you know how how much uh, the game is improving around the world 
So if it's done with that in mind, I completely agree. If it's done just to generate more money, then I would somewhat have issue with it. But I mean, look, I, it, I think it's a great topic of discussion because you've raised some, uh, you raised an excellent point there that the rest of the world is is uh, you know developing some some wonderful uh, teams. I ignored the USA from that as well. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, we just it's, to break it down, it's it's, it's a fa- it's far more than we're going to have time to do now. I mean, Concacaf mm. in and of itself is an exceptionally confusing. Uh, mm. situation for me uh, and and as for the the asian route i mean for qualification it's it, it's almost cruel i think compared to uh compared to the european so i think i think there have to be some reconfigurations around that all over and i'm not sure that just bringing more teams in and so on is is the answer that that's all i'm saying but i think the premise of what you're saying is absolutely right we should recognize the you know how many of how many teams have come through from these regions and how mm. well they're doing i agree with that so Ram, you get a word in. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Right, with moving that, on it? swiftly. Let's go into the <laughs> so Conte's first year. To Conte, to Conte's first year. Thank you very much, Ram. Wonderful thoughts. <laughs> I'm sure I've got an. I agree with Milo somewhere from in a past episode. I can cut in at that point if you want. <laughs> I love that. I wonder how many times he's done that before. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember, I, I do often listen back. All these back trade going, secrets are coming out. I didn't say that. <laughs> what does he mean? I agree. I agree. I see his point. What? I don't see his point. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, go on, mate. Go on. Take over yeah, for a bit. I mean, there's a, in terms of the actual games, I don't think there's much I can add to the games that have been discussed. What I will say is it's been a, what, what an interesting week for VAR and especially that did it, was it or wasn't it over the line you know for was it japan's goal um but you know this is what this type of var is for and i think it's irrefutable it, you, you can't say it was wrong because var has got it spot on because mm. of the technology they're using but it's generated so much discussion and people like looking at all angles so it's it's interesting how even with this irrefutable evidence that the ball didn't cross the was on the line we're still having so much discussion over it i wasn't watching it but um i just <laughs> to see online so itv you had that game in the uk and uh, it was graham soonest was on a rant about it say yeah. about fifa not releasing the pictures whilst itv were broadcasting the pictures <laughs> that fifa had released showing that the ball hadn't crossed the line <laughs> and at no point did anyone it's a man's in, game no one in the studio pointed out to him that actually that he was wrong and that we they were seeing the pictures so it's um it's like it's a drunk uncle at christmas isn't it it's like i'll oh, just let him get on with it <laughs> he's he's standing down from sky at the end of this season thankfully is he yeah. is he yeah he's looked to the left and right and figured out that it's, it made t- that yeah that you know the hovis ad isn't still running and uh <laughs> kenny burns actually did uh did stop playing football 35 yeah. years ago he figured <laughs> it's it too out. many women too many women around him yeah not in general yeah. too many women i suppose that graham Souness is probably removing himself to a small remote island of uh of of, of males and incels <laughs> Right, Steph, you you were itching to talk about England tonight. Go on, tell me about it. For all those who think that Gareth Southgate is out of his element, you know, go to the kitchen and get yourself a nice bit of humble pie because he's getting every decision right. Should he drop Marcus Rashford? Well, he's not dropping him. He's rotating him. He's using the squad Mm. very well. Um, Yeah. I, I, I see no I see no issue at all with anything that Southgate's done and the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's hard to argue with this tournament record, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. We were just saying that before the pod, Milo, like uh yeah, that you can't argue with that record. And apart from actually winning the the Euros or, or the World Cup, he's done just he's 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 done just about in both, you know, and that's better than any England manager um since you know, well well, since we won it really, yeah. you know, in terms of his record, so you can't argue with that. And by the way, uh, Harry Kane once again uh, has said to everyone, I'm warming into the tournament. Mm. I have no issues with scoring or not scoring. Well, he scored again. He produced probably one of the best passes of, of the tournament again. I mean, you know, he's just looking, he's looking stronger with each game as well. He's looking mm. He's looking muscular. I think you know, we've talked about this a bit, you know, since Conte's come in, he's, he's definitely leaner this season, but his, his muscle mass is bigger than I think it's been before. Definitely. Yeah. He is. And he's, he's just, I think he's, he's always been an intelligent player, but I think he's actually leveled up on that as well. You know, just as, uh, just as he's got that even bit more experience. So, um, he was great. So we've got some fantastic fixtures lined up for, for next weekend. So it will be Japan or Croatia against Brazil or South Korea, Netherlands versus Argentina. Morocco or Spain versus Portugal or Switzerland. I mean, Spain, Portugal. Um, 
and England versus France. Any thoughts? Anything you're particularly looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to that Netherlands Argentina game. I mm. think that's going to be uh, that's going to be, well, to be honest. They're all whatever combination comes out of these games, they're all going to be crackers. I think. I think they're all going to be strong games. And um, you know, with all the furor that's been going around about the World Cup outside of the football, the actual football, I think, has been. You know, you've had, you've got teams that are that are. Uh, some teams that are historically always do well in the World Cup, but you're getting, you know, you're getting upsets from teams that are relatively new to um, getting into the uh, group stage or coming out of the group stages. So, but yeah, the Netherlands, Argentina, and obviously England, France for me. Yeah, but it's fascinating that that Holland Argentina game you point out is such a bizarre game because it, it's either going to get messy in the case of Lionel taking it by the scruff of the neck or the Dutch are going to continue to kind of bluff their way through. I mean, I thought that mm. the US handed them their game, to be honest. I thought they gave it to them. I mean, you know, can you imagine uh, the person we're going to be talking about in about 10 minutes? Can you imagine what we, he would have said about those goals conceded by the US? <laughs> he would have been horrified. So it, it, it's really fascinating. I don't quite know how the Dutch have ended up there, but they're there. But you also feel that Argentina are quite fragile, don't you? And it goes back to the Messi comment. Yeah. By the way, everyone should note that Lionel Messi, when talking about the, the win over Australia, <laughs> shone a spotlight on uh, Christian Romero as being one of the one of the most important players in the squad. We know he loves him, don't we? Because he had to yeah. strop at Barca yeah. because Barca didn't sign him. So that that yeah. was one of the reasons for him oh, yeah. you know, wanting out. I mean, obviously they couldn't that's, afford him anymore. It's kind of great though. I mean, it's just, it's still it was kind of great to see, you know, it was really kind of uh, en- entertaining and uh, to read and, and fun. Um, but yeah, before we get even to that uh, quarterfinal, we've got basically uh, here in, here in the US, uh, the, the coverage for, um, for uh, uh, the uh, Brazil game, South Korea has been, you know, you've got Richarlison for Brazil and you've got Sonny for South mm-hmm. Korea. So with my Tottenham goggles on, that's always a, a pleasure to see. And I mean, that's going to be an amazing game as well, because, you know, let's face it, Sonny's not had the best tournament or season until that this moment of mm-hmm. genius that he produced. And you feel that yeah. that might be a catalyst. I mean, but Brazil, they, they look, Brazil looks so good, you know? Yeah. that they're, they're really exciting games. And I'm going to put myself on record. I think England. Uh, I think England will, will get by France. Uh, I, but it's probably my my hopeless optimism coming through there. But I, but I do think we're. I do think England's very well balanced. We're, I think we're very well balanced. So, you are right, Milo. Some really cracking games coming up for sure. So moving on from the World Cup and the excitement of it and Harry Kane's genius and how wonderful Tottenham Hotspur Football Club are for supplying pretty much any country worthwhile with some fantastic players, um, we're now going to look at the man who has largely been behind the form of these players, um, Antonio Conte, and we're going to put him through the the Game is About Glory one-year review. Uh, chaps, uh, to kick off our look back at the Conte year... Let's remember what Antonio said before our recent away game at Bournemouth. Quote, I think I'm enjoying every single moment in my adventure in Tottenham. I spared you both my accent. I nearly, nearly went for it then. And I, was, <laughs> I just pulled out at the last moment. It was like an emergency landing. and I didn't quite have to make it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm glad so, uh, we weren't doing this pod when Ossi Artiles was our manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He should be a feature. We could do a Conte Aussie special. Anyway, we are going to be asking whether we are enjoying it too and how we here at The Game Is About Glory feel that his first year has gone. So, chaps, a very simple question to kick us off. What did Antonio inherit when he walked through the door in November 2021 or even December 2021? Let's be honest, it was a mess. It was players that were rudderless, our star player wanting out, disillusioned fans. I think I think the kids nowadays would call it would call, call us a banter club. That's what he inherited. Is that a phrase? Yeah, yeah banter club. Have we moved on from the, shit show? I would. Yeah, shit show is old now. It's oh. banter club. It's what it's what we most people call West Ham. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Absolutely. That. I mean, we'd been dire under Nuno, and um, you know, really, really dull. The Man United game, you know, which was you know, Nuno's last game, was an absolute car crash, and. Mm. Yeah, he inherited a mess. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, I mean, you know, no, 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 as we have said about the bad manners era of uh, his his stewardship. And yeah, I mean, let's let's say that he walked into this mess. He took a look around. I don't think he's a man who was 
unaware of the problems, given that we had initially apparently approached him in the summer and for whatever reason it had broken down. I would suspect he'd already done some light inventory and homework at that point and was keeping close tabs. You can't imagine it came from nowhere, his appointment. And, and, you know, and obviously he knew, he knew Fabio. They'd worked together before. So um, yeah. I think our interest in Conte predated Paratici joining the club, didn't it? I think originally there was talk yeah. about it being a kind of double bid. Yeah. Um, but I'd be really surprised if he wasn't keeping an eye on what was going on and, you know, maybe yeah. even have his, his brother, you know, scouting us and doing video analysis and stuff like that. In the, in the meantime, I, I'd be amazed if he didn't didn't know what, what he was walking into. Which does actually lead right into the next question that I have for both of you, which is how quickly do you think he improved this? I think it was instant because we conceded one goal in his first four Premier League games which was an instant improvement defensively and you could see you could see that there were you know the kind of the the semblance of something new that was uh, of what he was bringing in um and i think the rudder was placed back in the water essentially because we looked like a team rather than a group of players mm. which is what we looked like under nuno um but i would say the liverpool game for me and i know we've discussed this at length on the pod so i won't go too much into it but that was you know despite conceding two that was a pivotal moment for me because it showed just how much Kante, Conte was bringing. Um, and I thought we were superb and we should have won the game. And you've got to bear in mind that that was kind of immediately after the Wren game uh, that yeah. had been um, you know, cancelled. So it was 10 days after because we'd missed a few games. But yeah, mm. um, after the abandoned Wren game. Yeah, I think in terms of kind of steadying us up, I think you're right. The impact was um, immediate. I think in terms of us being a Conte side, I think it probably took a little longer because the, understandably there were ups and downs, weren't there? And, mm. um, you know, we had, if you think about Christmas, New Year, and there's the 1-1 one, one draw away at Southampton and then we only beat Watford 1-0. And then um, and then we had that, you know, in January, we played Chelsea three times in January and yeah. lost all of them. Um, you've got the win over Morecambe in the FA Cup there and then the the 3-2 away at Leicester, which, yeah, I think it takes a while I think it takes a while before we're really, you know, the full the full Conte picture. You know, maybe Man City away, which was in February, the three two there. Yeah, and then you've got yeah. and then you've got the kind of four nil away at Leeds, five you nil know, at home to Everton mm. in late February, early March. So it's a, yeah, it's a funny one. You're looking, I think, as well with him as someone who you know the importance of the structure around mm. him uh, is massive, right? I mean, he comes, he, he has expectations and he has staff to deliver them and so we were seeing people coming in in those first few months uh i would like to say in droves because it did seem that that all sorts of technical positions were being uh either upgraded or uh, in a couple of cases created uh which obviously has continued you know into this season with um with Vio as the set piece coach, but you know, we—I know we talked about Ventrone. We won't talk about him too much more uh, today, obviously. But you know, I think he was a very important part of of, of what happened, uh, especially helping to get our players into you know, a physical and mental shape to take on that final stretch uh, that we'll be talking about um, in just a second. Um, I, I actually felt it was a, a ridiculously fast improvement all told um i felt by february i mean i was completely convinced we were going to be in the top four um i, I, I really was yeah i was completely convinced you say that by february so first league games in february you've got the 3-2 loss at home to southampton and then the 2-0 loss at home to wolves so i was there for both i remember them yeah we started february really badly yes uh, and I then remember. after that we've got this yeah the city city game away so yeah. yeah, yeah, but I but I remember having extreme confidence in him as we came to the end of that window. Uh, a feeling, look, he's got it sorted out. And so when you think about it, what it took maybe seven, eight weeks for me to be completely on board. I, I, that was my feeling. So I, I felt already there was a confidence in the structure that I hadn't had at our club since Pochettino left. Yeah, I think, and I think there's like there was two there's two different sort of trains of thought there. There was the question was you know. Um, where you know how quickly did he improve us so i would say you know yeah instantly but yeah. then i also agree with milo saying that we didn't start becoming a conte team until yes. a few months further down the line you know yes. so I, I i would agree with that yes. and do you remember within that time there was a few times with conte in the press where you know remember spurs fans we were going crazy because he was saying well maybe i'm not the well, man for the job or maybe you this, know and, this will yeah. get into something that i do want to touch on later with regards to conte in his first year i think it's very important um that we that we do get into it um and it's mm. regarding him because i think that he has changed a little bit as well but mm. let's let's get to that in a little while let let me ask you both how big an achievement 
you felt finishing the top four was last season. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the, where we were uh, under Nuno, to, at the end of Nuno's reign, I mean, there was murmurings of a relegation fight because we were on that much of a downward spiral. Obviously, I know for, for most of us, we didn't think it on the pod, but but that was how badly we were playing, that people were going, well, this is this is only going one way and that's downhill. Um, you know, but we were playing that badly. But the manner in which we did get top four, you know, the destruction of Arsenal both on the night and then their subsequent derailment of their top four hopes, you know, um, it was joyful. But we showed, you know, we we shouldn't have been anywhere near that top four come you know when when you look at our, our performances uh up up to november but he pulled out the bag and and the club pulled out the bag you know and that and down to him down to his appointment so it's massive yeah completely agree i mean i i was pretty confident that we'd do it all the way through as well but you know thinking that and delivering it are completely different things and mm. uh, i think you know it was a really 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 tight run in and there were a couple of yeah there were hiccups along the way but that's expected yeah. when you inherit someone else's squad halfway through a season uh, the you know the fitness isn't where you want it and um you know arsenal had been on a a good run albeit against an easy run of fixtures so um but that always gets people a bit twitchy i think also we 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 have to recognize a little stroke of fortune in the timing of everything in as much as uh, you know for a manager who needs as much preparation as he does especially at the beginning of his tenures we had no cup football in the run-in um you know going into going into the the stretch there to get top top four and I think that was probably a vital factor I mean even if we'd gone a little further in the FA Cup it might have derailed everything we just don't know but it was certainly enabled him to have the consistency of a week between those key final what eight games we'll say six games eight games I suppose you say you know publicly moaning about how we were kicked out of the the um the conference <laughs> uh, I, su- I suspect behind closed doors he was he was pretty pretty pleased about yeah. it <laughs> I, I it's interesting because i wonder with him whether he actually was pissed off and was trying to say to the club look think like a big club argue fight these things and i wonder if the club maybe someone some sat him down and said listen sunshine this is not such a bad thing i, I wonder it's an interesting <laughs> I, question to debate yeah I, I i'm not sure he's particularly bothered about winning the conference no but he does like a ruck once in a while I mean, that's he does like, he likes to get people riled and he likes to feel that the club is going to back him. It's sort of like a fronting thing. But I think that's different from actually wanting to be in the nah, competition. Yeah. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll never know. Why don't we, why don't we both, uh, why don't we, yeah, I'm sure there's a shade of both in it, but yes, either way, it turned out to be the right thing. <laughs> Um, let, let's, let's look at which of the players he inherited, uh, have improved the most under him. Um, Eric Dyer, uh, so, uh, has, uh, in my opinion, uh, improved, um, uh, t- to the status of being, a, a oh, an international class world cup defender. Oh, fancy that. He is one. Um, obviously Hoybier, let me not take them all. Why don't you, uh, why don't you chaps chime in? No, no, just carry on. Ask a question, answer it, move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Harry Kane's improved under him. The Harry Kane we've got yeah. now, you know, Ram, you said at the beginning that um, he was um, really pissed off. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, uh, you know, not only have we got a happier Harry Kane, we've got a fitter Harry Kane, and his all round game is, I think, probably the best it's ever been. Ben Davis has improved. Yeah. Mm, Matt Doherty's improved. Yeah. I'm going to be cheeky. Emerson Royale has improved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've Ram, I've taken your name. No, 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 no. I agree. I totally agree. I've got, I've got all our wing backs that you know in, at the club have improved. Considering how important that position is in this system, I'm not saying they're good enough for us. You know, good enough, and or Conte's not looking to improve them. But what he's done is improve all those players to the point where we finished top four, and they were a big part of that because their their role is so crucial within the system. Um, and I, I, yeah, I suppose you also have to include last year's Golden Boot winner, Sunny. Of course, Sunny last yeah, season yeah. was. And I know he hasn't been quite as um, quite as good this season, um, or hasn't been on his best form this season. But last season he was electric, and yeah. and Conte really got the best out of him. Can, yeah. can I ask you both? I mean, and this is certain. I think maybe one or both of you saw more of these players than I did before they came to us. But I mean, is it fair to say that he improved Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, they were they weren't getting game time at Juventus. They'd fallen out of favour there. I mean, they they didn't suit um, the system that was being played there particularly. 
Um, but I think you've seen both of their games develop over the last over the last year. And I think both of them are playing it a bit safe to begin with to find their feet. Understandable. You know, they're in a new country, in a new club, under a new manager. Um, but, I mean, you know, the levels that Benton Kerr's got to this season, you know, and he's a player who made a pretty much immediate impact. Um, but the levels he's playing to this season are a step above anything that he he achieved last year. Yeah, you see, he feels to me like a player who's absolutely benefited 100% from Conte in terms of encouragement and so on, whereas Kulisevsky, I, I was obviously benefited, but I think he was just always a great player who never got the chance to play. But in terms of raw improvement, like from maybe a, f- a five or a six to a nine or a 10 out of 10, I, I think Bentoncourt is a, is, a, is a great call. And conversely, I find it fascinating to look at a player like Steven Bergwijn, who I really felt Conte was trying to coax a player out of, especially after that Leicester game, um, you know, saying, really bigging him up. And at one point, if you remember, suggesting that he was a backup to Harry Kane, that he was a number nine, and that, mm. which is where, you know, Holland liked to play him sometimes as well and so on. But you felt that he was trying to tease the, the sort of the fight and the character out of him and that maybe Bergwijn isn't that type of player. And he just sort of after a while thought, well, okay. I don't think so. I think he never gave him many chances. Uh, I think, you know, he said he said the right things, but I'm not sure he's a player who's ever particularly keen on. Yeah, it was difficult to tell with Conte. And I, I think, you know, sometimes managers single out players in order to try and make a point to the rest of the squad. And, you know, maybe he was just unlucky. I don't know. But he, he didn't get many he didn't get many chances under Conte. I just get the impression he didn't show in training what Conte wants. You get the impression that Conte really wants players to show that they want it in training all the time, like to really fight for the fight for their place and really like... I don't know. I mean, he hasn't commented about that. So, it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm it's the answer to the, to the original question, though. Everyone. Mm. Um, Essentially. <laughs> trying to think of someone who's gone backwards. Larice. Oh, that name was springing to mind, but yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with Conte at all, especially seeing some of the little uh, yeah. rickets he displayed for France recently as well. Mm. And he was a little wobbly. I think it's age, isn't it? It's yeah, age. Yeah, I think it's just... Um, <laughs> Mora. Mora hasn't... Is- has trod water, hasn't he, really, I suppose? He has, yeah. but I think he's sort of fallen. I think this is where Conte's been really excellent for us. He's actually aggregated our uh, aggregated us to only really want mm. to work with re- good players if we can, and he's not great. I think probably one of the impacts he's has had is that you've got players like, you know, he, he evaluated the squad, he made it pretty clear who he wanted, who he didn't want, and he's got enough, uh, he carries enough weight that, you know, La Celso and Dembele, you know, Harry Winks, you know, Reggion, you know, Joe Rodon, he could just say, I want them gone. You know, they're not. Yeah. And yes, the club wouldn't have done the deals that they've done with those players where they're sending them out on loan previously. That's not the kind of thing we would have done. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And I think it also plays into the point we were making initially, which is in terms of how fast has he changed the club? He's changed the club culture in the sense of, uh, I am going to want these things to be done. I need to make sure they're going to get done. And I want the people in place to get them done. Um, Paratici obviously was a vital part of that, but you yeah. suspect that he has insisted that, that that ethos be supported throughout. Otherwise, as we have said on this pod many times, he will be off. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. But I, I agree with you. My, my is really important to have someone who's just going to turn around and say, look, I don't care what he costs. I don't want him here. He's not working for me. Out. <laughs> so, yes, massive. Um, And on that tip, is it fair to criticise him then for not developing or using our younger players more? Is that fair criticism? Should he be adjusting himself a little more? I don't think you hire Antonio Conte expecting him to bring through lots of young players. Um, so if that's the appointment you make, then you're signing players for now. And you know, that's part of the package. And then in return, he should deliver, deliver you success. I think if there's criticism there, I think it's criticism of Paratici and the club for not loaning out those younger players. If, 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 we'd have, if we've got a two-track transfer strategy where we're signing players for Conte for the here and now and younger players for the future, then we need to have a development plan for those younger players and they should be going out on loan so they can get game time and experience rather than sitting on their bench watching, you know, getting cold. That's a good point, actually, Milo, because I was going to disagree with you about because <laughs> I actually think that that's where I'm most disappointed with Conte is, is the lack of kind of giving chances to young players. But then that is a very good point about the club and Paratici not having a 
plan in place to, to you know, like you said, when you're not, um, no one expects, no one was expecting Conte to bring through starlets and things like that, you know. But, but I am disappointed because I think there's games where they could have been rotated in and given mm-hmm. game time, and you know, and I think elite level coaches, which Conte is, um, it's a shame he doesn't see the value in doing that, you know. And then he'll have his reasons, obviously, which we may not hundred percent know. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm disappointed, but. Yeah, my dream coach doesn't, you know, is incorporating young players, but mm. I'm not sure they're out there. I think actually, if you look at kind of most of the top managers, I don't think they're that dissimilar. I think you know, mm. I don't think you most of the top clubs, or, you know, top coaches at the top clubs are bringing through a lot of young players. I think they kind of do you, do you know buy who did do success, it? don't they? Go on. Recently was uh, Lampard because he he got all those Chelsea loans but was, in, but when he was at Derby, on him because, then, of the, because of the transfer yeah. ban. So it wasn't. That's true. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you've yeah. said you've used the word Lampard after I said top manager. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, fair point. When I've been playing with that AI tool today, if if I'd written a write about football and it it, it said oh. top manager and Lampard, I would have just said this is trash. <laughs> Needs yeah. more work. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, frighteningly, I only have two things to say. Number one, um, I agree with Milo's take on all of uh, that question in his answer. So there's a first, I think, maybe in total agreement as opposed to just partial. And secondly, in regards to your, the dream manager uh, situation, Ramo, uh, you know, I, I am f- duty bound by my um, social contract to myself at this point to say we've had him uh, and we, we won't have him again. And so I have to I accept Antonio as who he is. But we've had our dream manager, in my opinion. And with that AO tool, Steph, I did get it to write a romantic novel about you and Pochettino earlier on today. Did you really? Yeah, I did. I've yeah. always believed in the virtues of AI intelligence when it comes to writing. I've been a, a huge, huge supporter of it, and I think it's the future. I think it needs to be read out in the next pod. Steph, Steph needs to read it out. Good God, I tell you, I think. I, I, yeah, anyway, let's not go into what I would do if I had the, the poor man. I would, I would, you know, I'd grill him for an hour. He would just be like, "Who the fuck is this guy? Will you just get, just move yeah. him on?" Anyway, S- speaking of st- moving story on, story about Steph and, Mor- and Pochettino <laughs> in the style of Barbara Cartland. <laughs> <laughs> Even Barbara Cartland hadn't thought a source like this. Anyway, um, let's really Cooper, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Jilly Cooper, indeed. Goodness gracious. You didn't think you were getting this kind of pod tonight, did you? Yeah, just think about that for a moment. Stefan Potch, as imagined by Jilly Cooper. Goodness wow. gracious. Anyway, um, let's move, let's indeed move this on. And I, I must ask this, and this is, um, this is a question that I, I was particularly interested to hear your answers on. Um, who did you think Antonio Conti was as a person a year ago when he walked in the door? And is he the same man? 12 months later that you thought he was when he came into the club? Um, I'll go first. I thought we were getting a difficult personality, petulant, mm-hmm. someone who's very much about Conte and not necessarily about the club. Um, so, and someone who uh, would be would throw tantrums if he didn't get what he wanted. And I thought someone who was very in- only interested in sort of short-termism mm-hmm. appointments and, and doing what he could do and then getting, getting the hell out of Dodge. But um, I'm glad to say... I. I, either, I I'm wrong. I don't, you know, it, I don't know whether it's because of Spurs or because he's changed and developed as a person. But I think I was wrong about him in the in the first instance with a lot of that. But I think, you know, I think he's very passionate about us as a club. Uh, you know, he said so himself and he's shown it. I think he's a lot more compassionate than I gave him credit for. Um, a lot more empathetic. He's obviously a very emotional man but uh you know i think i think he's emotionally very intelligent as well um so i you know i'm I'm pleased to say i got it wrong i think i think he's uh i think there's a you know things have happened in the last 12 months um it's you know under spurs which you know maybe have helped form that um shapes you know reshape him as a person but you know without getting too deep into it because i have no uh, experience in doing that but I think that he's you know to answer the question specifically he's a very different person to the person I thought we were getting sorry I'm just writing write a story about Stefano Mar- uh, Maurizio Pochettino in the style of, uh, of um, Jimmy Cooper priorities yeah I'm glad to see that they are where they should be oh this is this is trash 
Stefan and Maurizio Pochettino were two dashing young men, well known for their athleticism and charm. They were rivals on the soccer field, but off the pitch they were the best of friends. Stefan was a rugged, handsome man with chiselled features and a muscular physique. He was the captain of the local soccer team and had a reputation for being a fierce competitor. Maurizio, on the other hand, was a more delicate and refined, with a boyish charm that made him irresistible to the ladies. Despite their differences, Stefan and Maurizio had been inseparable since childhood. They grew up in the same neighbourhood and had played soccer together since they were young boys. As they grew older, their passion for the sport only intensified and they both dreamed of one day becoming professional players. But their friendship was put to the test when they both signed for rival teams. Stefan joined Manchester United while Maurizio joined Liverpool. Oh, I'm this. No, I'll stop there. <laughs> I want to know what happens now. Okay. So Maurizio joined Liverpool FC. The two friends now found themselves on opposite sides of the field, competing with each other in some of the biggest matches of their careers. Despite the tension on the pitch, Stefan and Maurizio remained close off the field. They would often meet up after games to catch up and reminisce about old times. And although they are now, uh, now professional players, they still had the same love for the sport as they had as boys. One day, Stefan and Maurizio were invited to attend a fancy gala hosted by the Queen. They were both excited to attend, but when they arrived, they were shocked to find that they were the only men in attendance. The gala was a ladies-only event, and the two friends were quickly whisked away to a secluded room where they were pampered and preened by a group of beautiful women. The two friends enjoyed the attention, but they they couldn't help but feel a little out of place. They were used to the rough-and-tumble world of soccer, not the glitz and glamour of high society. But as the night went on, <laughs> Stefan and Maurizio began to relax and enjoy themselves. They chatted to the, with the women and danced and even shared a few laughs. In the end, Stefan and Maurizio had a wonderful time at the gala. They were proved to be the perfect gentlemen, charming and chivalrous, and they left the event with a new applica- uh, appreciation for the finer things in life. But no matter how successful they became, they would always remain loyal to each other and the dirt to the sport they both loved. There we are, wow. everyone. Dear listener, there's your Christmas pod uh, wrapped up inside this pod. <laughs> you can just, you know, listen to that on a Christmas shed night. A tear. <laughs> oh, my word. I shed a tear towards the end. Dear me. Yeah. Yeah. AIO, if you will. I don't know. <laughs> Once a fierce critic of AI, Stefan found himself falling in love with the format as it put him and Maurizio together in a room with women being pampered endlessly. <laughs> um, um, sorry, how, how did I see him a year ago? Um, so I was a little, when, when we were first linked with Conte after, um, after Mourinho, I was a little worried that kind of another abrasive manager after mm. Jose wasn't, you know, what we needed. So, I mean, maybe having that kind of break in between made a difference or maybe I was just wrong about it and, um, you know, Conte's a bit more a bit more nuanced, a bit more, I don't know, well-rounded. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think when he came in, I had a reasonable expectation of, you know, who he is and, and what he was going to bring. And um, it's gone broadly as I expected. I think I was expecting a little bit more uh, kind of tantrums and fireworks from him over the summer and we didn't have any of that and we haven't seen any of the kind of repeats of the kind of post-match escapades that we had last season this season despite you know us having some you know tricky games actually he's been pretty pretty balanced um I still think it'll end with um you know fireworks and tantrums and at some point it'll all come to a head he will have pissed off everyone in the club and it will become unworkable and he'll you know he'll leave and you know that's that's what's happened at pretty much every club um but you know that's Conte, and you've got to enjoy the ride while it's going on. And you know, I do think he's going to bring success. Mm. I certainly miscalculated him in in the sense of nuance for sure. I thought he was going to be far more of a confrontationalist than he's proven to be, especially mm. uh, publicly. Um, and I did feel that at one point with us, he was starting to adhere to his that tried and trusted path. But somewhere, somehow, I'm not sure what happened. He he sort of changed his tack a little bit and realized that you can't, you know, kind of be quite as, uh, shall we say, expressive as he had been in some of his uh, post-match briefings. And, and, and he seemed to dial it down a little bit. And especially as we went into that stretch, he kept it very calm and very even to the point that he actually mm. magnified Arteta. I think as being as seeming even more out there than maybe Arteta is, uh, you know, and because he looked super calm, and so I feel that he has changed a little bit as a person. He seems, he seems a little, uh, I don't want to say calmer, but maybe a little more 
accepting that you can't control every single second. Um, I think we've talked about this before um, on the pod, especially with the the Leeds game, which would have been horrendous to him and, you know, a a, a nightmare. But he didn't seem to get quite as irritated as he did by the lack of control in some of the games in his when he first arrived. So uh, I think he might have he might be. I know, rounding a couple of the sharp edges of his cube, but he's still a cube in the best one. I mean, I don't mean that rudely. I mean, he's. I'm talking geometrically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I have been a little surprised, I have to say. Um, but his delivery for us, uh, you know, has 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 been spot on. So, you know, yes, I think we're kind of all saying roughly the same thing. Um, I threw this in just for a laugh. I don't know if we want to get into this or if this is one of my faffy questions oh fuck it we're here now i'll faff away where would you go for dinner with antonio and who else would you invite to to sort of like help the conversation on its way i would invite thomas tuchel for the fireworks i think that would be quite a quite a good uh <laughs> good mix in there and then i'd I, I was i actually put down i'd invite potch so you, so conte could give him some advice on the next step for when he makes his triumphant return to Tottenham Hotspur Ooh, but now I would also invite you Steph because if that AI conversation <laughs> if that AI um, <laughs> novel is anything to go by it'll be a fascinating evening <laughs> um, and I'd have it in a I think you know where there's there's four very classy distinguished guys there and Thomas Tuchel <laughs> so I would say <laughs> Thomas Tuchel nicely different. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say it would have to be somewhere like some chic boutique eatery in the south of France, possibly on Tebe. Wow. Um, and we'd be there just watching, you know, the sunset by the water and just, just chewing the fat. I like that. Somewhere there's somewhere where they serve ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> Every restaurant in England in that case you're probably doing I like that though, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a burger uh, joint for you then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd bring the whole first team squad and we'd go somewhere where there's ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> is that your is that is that your submission for this uh, yeah. for this for your meal? Huh? <laughs> I can get AI to write it for me if you want. There you go. I think you should actually. I, 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 I just just because you're on a roll, I think it would be good. Uh, while, while you're while you're consulting with your bot, if you will, if that's a what, there's an AI. Would an AI writer be a bot? It is a bot, yeah. A bot. Yeah. So while you're, you know, um, while you're conferring with your bot, bot, if you will, um, I will say the location is Sardinia. Oh. I think we're probably sitting at something that where you can oversee the ocean, a small, friendly trattoria where we're sipping a Chianti. You know, we're we're eating antipasta. Um, Eric Dyer is with us because I just think Eric Dyer is probably one of the most conversationally um, versatile uh, human beings at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, I, I I don't want to steal your idea, so I won't. But I do like the idea of Poch nipping in for a cappuccino and a dessert at the end, possibly just to, to confer. <laughs> but you know, I think the other person I'd love to see at this table um, would be uh, would be uh, Chiellini. Actually, I, I think Chiellini would be an interesting oh. person to have. Uh, a little bit of familiarity for Antonio. You're not going to invite Paratici then, are you? No, I don't think I am inviting Paratici because as, as much as I admire his work, I'm not altogether sure I'm completely behind. I, I don't, let me, let me, this feels like I'm walking in quicksand. So I'd be, no. I have a story for you. Uh, over to Milo with an update. It was a warm summer evening and I was excited to be going out for a dinner with Antonio Conte, the former manager of the Italian national football team and current head coach of Tottenham Hotspur. Conte was a well-known and respected figure in the world of sports. I arrived at the restaurant a few minutes early and was greeted by Conte himself. He was charming and gracious and we chatted for a few minutes before being seated at a cosy table near the back of the restaurant. The waiter arrived to take our order and I was impressed by Conte's knowledge of the menu. He recommended a few dishes that I wouldn't have thought to try and I trusted his judgment completely. As we waited for the food to arrive, Conte and I continued to talk about a wide range of topics. We discussed the upcoming football season, the challenges of facing Chelsea and even touched upon some of the political issues facing Italy. When our food arrived, it was every bit as delicious as Conte had promised. 
We enjoyed our meal, savouring every bite and chatting the whole time. I was struck by how down-to-earth and friendly Conte was, despite his celebrity status. As the evening came to a close, I said a sad goodbye to Conte, but I left the restaurant with a full stomach and a newfound appreciation for the man and his passion for the beautiful game. Can I just say, it somewhat sounds like a semi-Enid Blyton-type writing (laughs) as read by a pornographer. There's something, there's something really porny about that voice. I'm, I'm waiting for a, a set of yeah. balls to be tickled or an ear to be, yeah. or an ear to be sniffed or something. You, I, mean, I, was, I, the I felt the tension. I felt the tension as the, as we were getting to the end of the story. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. You just w- wait for that jazz to start kicking in. <laughs> That's just a su- subscribers only. There we are. Yeah, there we are. Uh, that was brilliant. It, that was brilliant. It was. It was certainly. Yeah. It was evocative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, should, it almost should get, seems. Should we get AI to do a pod? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't you dare give him any ideas, Ram, because you know that he's actually already been investigating ways to bot us off, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the problem is, is for for artificial intelligence to work, it has to have intelligence. To, I knew uh, it. You know. There he goes. There he goes. Oh, you knew it. You knew he was coming in with that. Oh, boink. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my word. It almost seems churlish to have a final question after that, because what pod doesn't deserve to end with an Enid Blyton pornographer? Um, (laughs) But alas, we do have a final question. And it is marks out of 10, gentlemen, for Antonio's first year. You You missed the one before, actually. Oh. There we go. I was so in, uh, so excited by this. <laughs> you see, <laughs> I did miss the one before. Why, why don't you ask the one before? I I missed it. You saw it. All right. Uh, do you enjoy watch, watching Conte Spurs? Go on, Steph. Yes, I do enjoy watching Conte Spurs because I appreciate what Antonio Conte does with his football teams. I'm not looking for Pochettino era Spurs. I'm not looking for Birkenshaw era Spurs. I'm looking at Conte era Spurs. And within that realm, yeah, I am enjoying it. Ram? I'm going to be honest, no, um, for no, no a lot of the time, but I'm at peace with that because I'm at peace with the fact that this, uh, it's just this style of play isn't, it's just not to my liking. That's it. I'm not saying it's a bad style of play, but I don't care as long as we win and as long as we, we're, we're progressing towards something. The high points I really enjoy. And yeah. I think, I think as a football fan, you've almost got a selective amnesia about the bad games. And I think even under, you know, most managers, there's always games that are a bit of a grind and then you kind of forget about mm-hmm. them. And when you're, you know, in the here and now and there's a run of games that are a bit of a grind, that's when people get uppity. So I think, yeah, I think we've kind of forgotten about, you know, the, the tough runs of, of games under, you know, more celebrated previous managers. Um, what I really enjoy is, is, I really enjoy trying to get in the head of a manager and try and work out, you know, what they want to do and what their plans are and what they're trying to achieve with the team. And Conte is is fascinating from that point of view, trying to understand, you know, what he wants to do with this side and you know how he's trying to set it up. And yeah, so from that point of view, it's, it's a you know it's a mental exercise, it's a study. It's fascinating. I mean, let me let me help satiate your fascination. Why don't you go to your bot friend and ask them? And uh, what is Antonio <laughs> thinking? I was just going to ask the, that. The, the, your paradise awaits you. What are you talking about? It's right there. What does AI think? What does what does what is that? What is Antonio Conti thinking about Tottenham? I don't. Oh, it won't work with that because it's um, it's not that up to date. So it won't be able to do that. Rubbish. It won't be able to do it. <laughs> so. Yeah. By the way, did you say something about selective amnesia? Hmm. I think you've actually tabbed the state of the majority of long, long-haul, die-hard Tottenham Hotspur football club yeah. supporters. Isn't that isn't that a mandatory requirement? Mm. I, I think it's all football fans, isn't it? But especially yeah. us, though. I mean, you know, com- combined with uh, unreasonable amounts of uh, optimism, I think. But um, mm. <laughs> and anyway, the joy of football indeed and the joy of supporting this wonderful club. But that does bring us to what I initially thought was our last question, but it really is our last question. Um, marks out of 10 gents for Antonio's first year? Um, eight, I suppose. It's, it's tough. It's, yeah, if you'd asked me in May, probably would have mm. gone for a nine. Yeah. Um, he drops he drops down a bit because of the performances, but then you look that we're in the top four and we you know we're into the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Maybe that's a bit churlish, but yeah, an eight took the words right out of my mouth. Eight for me. 
for the exact same reasons. Yeah, and it is an eight for me uh, simply because I don't think you can get a 10 until you win something. And I don't mean the Mickey Mouse Cup, which we won't because we were obviously got knocked out by Forrest. We saw that, Ram. Um, but yes, I think an eight seems to be the game is about glory's um, assessment of Antonio Conti's first year, chaps. Um <laughs> That was a lot of fun, especially with the addition of our new podder this week. <laughs> the, the, the game is about gory bot. <laughs> so those, but you, 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 won't, you won't know this, obviously, folks, because you don't see our chat threads. But I have to say, I've seen Milo getting increasingly, um, I would say, f- feverishly excited by this AI writing thing, fueled, I may point out, by my utter disdain for it. Every time he posted something, I was like, oh, this is absolutely this is absolutely bollocks. I hate it. And you get back another three or four. I mean, so, it, 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 yeah, so this, this, this has gone as it should have. It, 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 it peaked at this moment. <laughs> just, just wrap this up so I can get, get away and do why VAR is brilliant on the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's no better place to leave it, lads. That was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Uh, that was brilliant. And uh, yes, if you you should do that. I want to hear it. We all want to hear it. You have to. You should read that out on the next pod. All right, that, I'll do that. I'll do that. Do that. It'll be great. That'll be great. Thank you. And uh, anyway, thanks again, chaps. Uh, we'll be back next week and every week with more of the same. I can't always promise you top bots, but. <laughs> You'll get some good. Uh, you'll get some good podding, I'm sure. Um, if you like our pod, and my word, you should. Please tell your Spurs supporting friends and just your friends in general. Uh, you know, comments on social media are really helpful. Anything you can do to help us grow, we are growing, and it's with your help. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and as always, thank you for joining us with this episode, and we will see you next week. <laughs>